everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 263. It's beginning to look a lot like something. Recorded December 11th, 2016, that's what year this is, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show in the, on the internet where geeks rant. That's right. Just us trust. Just trust us. It doesn't happen anywhere else. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the gooey can and kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie engineer. I'm going with that. Wake him. Hey, gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Uh, when do you go to Berlin? <laughs> well, he kind of almost threw in just some german-esque sounding accent so i figured i would throw it out there but there is a castle in germany that i can trace my ancestry to so i am very cool depending on who you believe my ancestry is either german or swiss which makes sense because they're kind of the same people group just and you know have migrated to different parts all the time and there's cockerel with an e r-e-l-l and cockerel with an i r-i-l apparently the e's are germans and the i's are swiss um there you go. That's as much as I know about my family history. Um, so we have to be quick tonight because I made a, a grave error and scheduled a podcast on the same night that my beloved Cowboys are playing at uh, on Sunday Night Football. I, I don't know why I was so uh, short-sighted, so the show must end <laughs> early tonight. This may be the shortest ever Geek Rant episode. Um, so good night, everybody. It's been nice talking <laughs> with you. No. Um, um, anyway, so if it seems rushed, it's only because it is. Um, so, Miles apparently is a human lab rat, which is something I rather enjoy doing. You get that all the cheese you want. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll be. Not quite yet. Um, I've been... Uh, <clears throat> okay, so we all need to get our teeth cleaned. We all need to go to the dentist. You know, we probably only don't do it as much as we should. And so uh, I got scolded by my dentist of couple of years back for not going to get my teeth clean more regularly and uh with that scolding came a two thousand dollar bill so um didn't want to go through that exercise again so i have been one of those loyal go get your teeth cleaned every 90 days kind of guys and you know little by little it costs a lot of money well i live in phoenix arizona or scottsdale but anyway and uh we are only i guess about three hour drive from the mexico border I discovered a little town right on the border of Mexico next to Yuma, Arizona, called Los Algodones. And I discovered this by watching a bunch of people's YouTube videos who have, like, in the RV community that uh, apparently have found this place to be the, um, the mecca of cheap medical tourism. Um, from what I understand, the town is the largest medical tourist town in the world. And it's a three-hour drive from my house, and I've been constantly threatening with my wife that I should go down there and, you know, get my teeth cleaned. And, of course, you know, going to Mexico to get dentistry done is kind of scary. You know, it would be for anything, right? So I thought, oh, maybe not this time. Maybe not this time. Well, you know, whatever. I'm going. So Wednesday, I'm going to hit the road. I'm going down to Mexico, which is literally you, you park on the U.S. side of the border. You pay $5 to park and you walk through some gates and there's the town. So it's ridiculously part of Yuma, Arizona, but it's not apparently. And it's a five block area. And all it is is dentists, opticians and pharmacies. And you can go down there and spend maybe 
20 cents on the dollar and get the exact same thing you get from the US. So if you're willing to make the trip, this is this is my first experience doing it. So next week I might be sounding like this. But you know, who knows? We'll see how it goes. So you you're willing to burn a day to save a uh, $100? I mean, teeth cleaning is not super expensive. No. It, it, I'd save, I think, by the time I price this versus here, I'd save about 100 bucks. Yep. Yeah. I sure am. <laughs> because that's how I roll. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I've got to do something the way everybody else is not so doing you're it. You're going to spend like 60 bucks out. in gas. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and burn a day <laughs> to save what, what amounts to a tip at a, at a, re, at a good restaurant. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't find this the least bit silly. Nope. Okay. Not at all. No. If 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 someone says go left, I go right, and so that's that's just how it is. I have to do it. Just remember, rinse and spit. Do not swallow. <laughs> really. <laughs> now I'm curious as to whether or not um, if if other members of the family or myself, we need more extensive dental work, whether this is a reliable, responsible place to go to. I hear nothing but good stories, but of course that's all probably, you know, fake Yelp reviews. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I have to go and see it for myself, but actually part of the reason I'm doing it is I want to go and see whether there's an opportunity to try to get the uh, medical practitioners down there who traditionally accept cash i mean some of them accept credit cards but traditionally everything's paid in cash i'm going to go down there and see if there's an opportunity to bring bitcoin to the to the medical tourist industry um so you never know what you find out until you go down there and so that's the whole reason i'm doing it all right i mean being an american chauvinist um and chauvinism by the way is the most misused word in the english language it means a belief that your group or uh, uh, sub subsect is superior to others. So a male chauvinist is one who thinks that men are better than others, others in this case being women. Anyway, being an American chauvinist, uh, we tend to look at uh, uh, our little brothers in Mexico as, oh, aren't they quaint? They don't know anything, those poor, dumb, backwards people. But the fact is they have excellent medical schools and and high-tech universities they have everything we do uh just you know and rather they're they're a little more spread out and a little uh uh less uh well attended but uh you know i i don't i don't doubt uh, particularly if they're close enough to yuma arizona to uh, you know take advantage of the the resources there you know they might be drawing their water from the same municipal source even um so you know, I, I don't doubt that you'll find uh, a a top notch, first rate, first world experience, but it is a little silly to uh, uh, to, to to make that endeavor. But I see it's a it's a fishing expedition for the future. I get that. It is. It is. In fact, the, the dentist I chose is actually is educated at a Baylor, so you know he's basically a, a Texan. Right. I mean, as far as the education goes. So why would you? Um, Baylor is a very expensive private university. Why would you spend yeah. that kind of money and then go to some place where you can make pennies on the dollar? That's sketchy right there to me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, they're not super. Well, okay. So if you're spending, let's say you have to get some major dental work done and the dentist quotes you, I don't know, $15,000 to get it done. So big, big stuff. You're going to spend maybe about 2500 bucks on it down there. Maybe, maybe three, something like that. It's going to be that sort of price. But there's no it, it, 
it, they immediately get paid. I mean, you pay them when you when they give the service, you give them money. There's no insurance company. There's no bureaucracy in the middle. Yeah. So they don't have to worry about factoring in costs for all of that, that arbitrage that goes on between the patient and the doctor. You know, working and, in the you know, medical industry as I do, I, uh, I am privy to the way a large number of doctors run their businesses. And the fact is they actually charge more for people who don't have insurance. And I don't know why. I can't find a reason for that. I would think you would want to give a discount because it's a much simpler transaction. But they don't. They charge more for people who pay cash for services. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to come back and report next time how it goes. Uh, hopefully, I'm still alive. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Mark. I figure he's probably making about the same because he doesn't have the the insurance tax. Oh, there's that. So, mm-hmm. you know, and we're saving money because and we're paying cash and Miles is going to get him on Bitcoin so he can write all this all all this off as a business expense. <laughs> so, it's a win for everybody involved. Way to go capitalism. <laughs> you know, capitalism for all its um uh uh, evils has saved more industries than it's ever hurt. Um, that's for sure. Uh, it, capitalism is what prevented Y2K from being a thing. It's true. Um, and so, yep. Seth, maybe, I mean, you're a little farther from Mexico. It'd be about a, a, a eight or 10 hour round trip for you. Uh, uh, probably more than probably to get there yeah, because Austin is four hours. Well, it's four hours, two hours and 45 minutes if I were still in my youth. So <laughs> so uh, maybe if you did that, you could save some money to feed your Bitcoin buying habit. Possibly. I don't know. I, uh, I, I have become maybe addicted is too strong a word to finding deals online. I was uh, in Dallas buying uh computers and tablets yesterday got some really good deals now i just got to figure out some way to sell them <laughs> yeah so, so uh, <laughs> when you purchase the supply without an idea for a market that's that's kind of the backwards way to go well but you know i, I this guy was selling a it's a pretty decent laptop for 30 dollars because the hard drive died and rather than get a hard drive and re-image it um, he was just going to chunk it, but his friend said, Hey, you can get some money off of Craigslist and sold it for $30. And I happen to have a spare hard drive and SSD one at that. So I can throw it in there and I figure make some money off of it. And go. then I got a, it's like a Samsung 700 tablet i3 processor, eight gigs of RAM. I mean, it's or four gigs of RAM. I'm thinking about making it my new tablet because it has the attachable keyboard and then maybe selling my old one. Because I got it for fifty dollars, really good deals. Yeah. So Craigslist for the win, you know. Yay, Craigslist! Bill Gates famously uh, sold products he didn't own. DOS, for example, he sold right. the product and then went and bought the product. So that that's the uh, that's the capitalistic way. If you buy the product and then try to sell it, uh, there's risk there. Of course, there's even more risk in selling something you can't deliver, but people don't like to talk about that. Right, but then you know, if you can't deliver it and you refund the money, what are they going to do? Oh, he gave me back my money. Yeah. Well, of course, he'll probably still get sued because we are Americans. Right. But I, I was reading a, a book recently, Robert Kiyosaki's uh, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, it's it's one of the standards. And, and he talks about uh, buying a house and putting the mortgage up. And, and he essentially buys it for little to no money down, gets the, the uh, renter to pay him a deposit that covers the, the no money down. And now he owns this thing. He's got a renter in there. 
and he counts that as an asset instead of a liability because now it's draw it's drawing after I pay everything it's bringing me in fifty bucks a month over the uh, you know the management fees and the mortgage and all that and and I get you know I get the math of that technically that is an asset but all I can see is a giant chunk of risk he's got a you know fifty thousand dollar mortgage there that's a liability in my book um, but you know. I'm a poor man and he's a rich man, so maybe maybe I should listen to his reasoning. Maybe I should not uh, consider risk so highly. But uh, you know, uh, there's a there are a lot of people out there who will do that. They will um, leverage a risk and call it an asset, and that's essentially what you just did. You, you purchased an asset, but all I can see is the risk. So maybe yeah, I'm well, going to be poor my whole life because of that. But you know, it was like I didn't purchase a big asset. If worse comes to worse, I can give the computer to the church or what I'm probably end up doing. You know, I've, I've given away so much money in old computers and computers I'm not using to friends. What's one more? And for the two of them, including gas to and from Dallas, it's less than a hundred dollars. And that could so, save you 83 cents on your taxes. So be sure to keep records of that. Yeah. No, it wouldn't save me anything because I just give them to people. Uh, <laughs> but it does, it will be able to show, you know, like, because when I do taxes, I've actually sold stuff this year. So I'll have like cost of goods sold. So cost of goods sold will end up being about the same thing as goods sold. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it'll come out as a net zero just out my time. And well, what was I doing anyway? And just very quickly, I want to, uh, there's no reason for me to do this. She never listens. But my wife and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary this weekend. Um, thanks for not getting tired of me yet. Oh, congratulations uh, to yes. you guys. That's great. And, of course, being uh, parents of three children, we spent our, our anniversary doing kid stuff. There were two choir performances and, uh, you know, that's uh, that sort of stuff. And, and we uh, we have a tradition. Uh, um, the night we got married, our, our actual wedding night, um, the the photographer we had was a very good photographer but he was a perfectionist and perfectionists as you know uh, are not speedy people so by the time we got to the reception after having had all the the photos taken um they were pretty much done and we cut the cake and everybody left and so we got no food at our own reception so on the way out because it was eaten on the way out of town uh we stopped at mcdonald's and our first meal as husband and wife was drive through mcdonald's so 21 times uh since then, we have stopped at McDonald's and uh, gotten the same drive-through meal on our wedding night. So, uh, not only is it a tradition, and I get romantic points, it's also cheap. So, uh, <laughs> so that's what we did on the actual wedding night. We drove through McDonald's, bought the same value meals because McDonald's doesn't change, and you can do that twenty-two years later. Um, <laughs> so, that's uh, when I tell people, you know, what are you going to do for your wedding night? Oh, we're going to go to McDonald's. Really? No, no. And then I tell them the story, and they're all like, "Oh." So uh, it's a it's a win win, guys. If you can orchestrate that, I'm telling you, you get to be romantic and you get the cred for no money. Just make it happen. Let me add to that that there's about a one in twenty chance that you can orchestrate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. No, because you see, now anybody can take this story and share it. And then their their wives will think, oh, that's cute. We can do that. And then when we have kids, we'll be they'll be able to join in the tradition. So all yeah. you've got to do is share Mark's story, and then they will be mad at you if you're not sharing it with them on the way to McDonald's. So that's a good point. Or it doesn't have to be McDonald's. It can be your in, in, yeah. in the, the town where we lived. McDonald's was the fast food restaurant, so it was right. the only option. But you know, if uh, you know Chili's is your thing, you know whatever, whatever, just plan ahead. 
and make sure that your first meal as husband and wife is something replicable and cheap, and then it becomes a romantic tradition too. Yep. All right. Moving on to some of our listener feedback. Shane says that we help him with a, with his housework. He says, hi, guys. You have a great show. Thanks for the politics-free episode. I especially appreciated your perspectives on Microsoft joining the Linux Foundation. I teach Microsoft Office at works and I work, and I use Ubuntu and Raspbian at home. It seems so weird that Microsoft has joined the Linux Foundation, but you guys theorized about it in a way that made sense. God bless you all, because listening to the show helps me get the dishes done. Well, thank you, Shane. <laughs> Making mundane tasks slightly less mundane since 2010. Yeah. There is a dishwasher. They invented those things a while back. Well, in my house, we <laughs> must wash all dishes before they go in the dishwasher. Oh. I don't understand that. It's a it's one of those minor arguments we've had for 22 years now. And she's like, did you, did you rinse those dishes? Well, no, we have a dishwasher. Well, it won't get clean. Then I'll run it again. It's a dishwasher. <laughs> but, but you see, the old dishwashers could only rinse clean dishes that they, they, they should have been called dish rinsers and so yeah and so you know if you learned if you're our age and you learned from your parents who had one their parents knew from bitter experience that if the dishes weren't clean before they went in then the stuff got like heat glued on it and you had to like break out the chisel or just break the dish and buy another one so now you know now they're freaking saunas with nanotechnology that goes in and reconstitutes after every meal and you could just throw you know sand and gravel and rocks and glass and come out with new set of dishes so i've never tried it but i have been told you can lay a fully formed fresh baked pizza on the bottom tray run it and and it'll be gone when you're done um (laughs) In a good good dishwasher. I did see when one of those uh, How It's Made type shows, they were testing, it was the Disposal brand uh, garbage disposal. And they, for their quality testing, they randomly pull one off the line and put 10 pounds of beef ribs down it. And that's Ooh. that's one of their function tests. So as soon as I saw that, any uh, thoughts I ever had about you can't put that down to the garbage disposal, I just went away. I throw everything down there. Um, the other day we had some... Uh, um, we had a party at my house and a guy brought like 12 pounds of chicken wings. That's a lot of chicken wings. Unfortunately, it was too much and they had, they went uh, sour before we could eat them all. So I put like three pounds of chicken wings down the garbage disposal, one wing at a time. It ground them up, not a problem. So I'm just telling you guys that, that garbage disposal is your friend. That peach pit, don't worry about it. It'll bounce around for a while, but it'll eventually it'll go. There's just <laughs> nothing, you know. Maybe you know, like a... Ahead, if you so, put so. like uh, some silverware, like if utensils or something go down there, that could maybe well, run that would it, be but. that would be bad on the silverware, certainly. Right. Well, apparently, I heard this week that Whirlpool, the appliance developer manufacturers, are now posting tweets on Twitter when your Whirlpool dryer finishes its cycle. Because so, buzzers aren't good enough. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine, though, everyone's sort of tuned into your Twitter feed and they're getting all the tweets from your dryer. I mean, your undies are toasty. (laughs) All right, moving on. Dave says you don't have to leave home to go to a cafe. Says regarding Miles working at a cafe, if you want a similar effect but don't want to burn gas to get there or pay for coffee, try searching on YouTube for ambient sounds or in Miles' case, ambient cafe sounds. Um, And you'll get a whole raft of sound scenarios you can pick from. When I found some I really like, I download them with a YouTube DL to get the video file. And then I run it, run this Bash script, and I love this. This is an email with a Bash script in it. Uh, to turn it into an MP3 file, I can run it will. Requires FFmpeg. So 
clearly I'm not going to read the whole script on the podcast, but that just made me laugh. That's the kind of listeners we have. They send us bash scripts through Gmail, and why not? Dave, He's I'm been not around worthy. since the Everyday Linux days. <laughs> he rocks. <laughs> That's so, what I'm talking serious geekdom right there. So if you want that, I'll forward it on to you, Miles, and you can oh, uh, yeah. you can download and, and convert it to a, an MP3. <laughs> I'll listen in my headphones to the sound of the cafe while I'm in the cafe working. That go. that'll that freak me out right there. <laughs> just you just need to rec- record sometime, you know, your own sounds, but then that requires efforts and uh, so yeah, that's uh, occasionally I do like a white noise generator because sometimes music is too distracting and the people around me are too distracting and I just want I just need something to block out the people around me so I have some noise canceling headphones and every now and then I'll just put on a white noise generator just to tune out the world i'm in coder mode right now <laughs> uh, there's a i forget which one it is there's an, an, an illicit uh, uh google chrome or or firefox i don't remember which plugin that will actually take a, a youtube video and just pull out the mp3 of the audio so but then you don't get to use the bash script so uh, frankly i'm more inclined to do it dave's way just because linux <laughs> All right, let's do some tech news. Um, and I, I don't even understand what this says, so I'm just going to read what, what Seth wrote. First, Big Brother, now enter the dolls. Yes, because apparently there are dolls now that record records children's conversations without parental consent and then forwards them over the net for, you know, processing so they can reply back. You know, we covered the story a while back about how TVs were doing that and how it's a big security thing. Well, now, uh, two connected toys, my friend Kayla and the IQ intelligent robot, um, they violate kids' privacies by recording their conversations without parental consent. Both connected toys from a manufacturer and then they, they, uh, they convert it to text, ship it across the internet to their processing centers where they can then respond to the kids' questions. And anyway, it's just kind of like, you know, I don't know if I want some device recording and soaring conversations that my kids have in their room. And, you know, they may or may not get anonymized somehow, but I just, I think that's a little on the creepy side. Oh, seriously creepy. Who ever thought this was a thing? Oh, my gosh. I'm totally on the other side of this, guys. This is not a thing. This is not a big deal. Okay. For one thing, these these uh, electronics are too dumb to be recording all the time. They don't have that capacity. Just like Siri or, or Google Now, there's a trigger phrase that you say or maybe a, a series of trigger phrases, and they're only able to record seconds, not minutes. They're not going to record your two siblings having a long conversation. And then they're sending that off to an algorithm that converts it to text so that they can respond back in the appropriate way because they don't have the processing power on the doll. This is much ado about nothing. And The Verge here uh, in, engages in some salacious, if you even want to call the word journalism, uh, to say, uh, what does it say? The What's the exact? Oh, I forgot. I've lost it. It's something Fun. that I found. It's, 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 it's disconcerting that they're sending your child's conversations off to a defense contractor. Well, that's just stupid. <laughs> if, just because, contractor? yeah, um, uh, the firm, uh, uh, the app requests, uh, yeah, the problem is that the app never requests per- parental permission to do this, and that's what violates the, the Children's Honor and Privacy Protection Act. Okay, I give you that. That's a, that's a true statement. Uh, uh, a child cannot 
uh, by uh, U.S. law enter into a, a contract, and so a parent must do it. And if you're going to be recording something, you have to give permission to do that. I get that. Um, but then he, uh, it goes on to say that the uh, it's, it's nuance, which powers Siri and among other things. <clears throat> and because nuance is also uh, used by other people, it basically says that you're sending all your kid stuff off to the defense department. Okay, this is stupid, but whatever. It's Colonel Chucky. <laughs> this, yeah, what, what was that show? Um, to, toy Soldiers? Yeah. Yeah. N- none of this bothers me. And and I'm, you know, usually the first one, particularly when it's for the kids, you know, I'm usually the first one to jump in on this. But I, I, because I know that a cheap doll is going to have cheap electronics in it. This doesn't bother me. And because I know that my expensive phone with uh, the first generation processor with the highest end stuff, how dumb it is, I'm not bothered by how smart this cheap doll is going to be. Okay. So, you know, again, I, I just think it's a little creepy that such a thing is there and, I, like I say, I'm, I wear a tinfoil visor all the time, and apparently it's not so much the stuff in them. It's the Bluetooth that communicates with your um, Android or iOS app. So, I don't know. I just, it's creepy. It's creepy. Okay. Next I, thing I, you know, the next thing you know, the eyes of the doll are going to follow you around the room too, <laughs> and then it will start walking and following you. This is the first step. Don't you want to protect your kids, Mark? I, I just it's think a it's slippery slope. That the only one of us who has children young enough to be using this doll is fine with it. <laughs> um, okay. Oh man. So if it's an inside job, but the insider is no longer inside, what is that? Is that now an outside inside job? Is that an inside out job? Yeah, this was a um, this was a weird story that um, Ars Technica I found while cruising there. A disgraced IT worker stole confidential Expedia emails even after he left. And so he uh, he was an IT worker. And so you know, if you're in IT, um, you usually have the ability. You might not have the authorization, but you have the ability to really look at any file on any computer. Um, you know, depending on your level, some of it might be restricted. But he was apparently accessing like um, VP level um, and super investor level emails uh, and was then able to act on that data to buy shares of Expedia stock before announcements went public that would drive up the stock and he could then cash out. And he made over $330,000 and somehow after he after he left, he still had a company issued laptop that gave him access to the system. So either his account wasn't closed or he had created another account or probably what is more likely is he had a coworker's um, username and password and did it. And, you know, and he probably had a coworker's password and then that coworker made a little money off of it. That would just be my conspiracy theories flying. But just an interesting story. So even firing someone doesn't cut off their access. Well, if you're incompetent, it doesn't. Right. Mm, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, um, each state has different laws in regards to uh, digital forensics. And depending on where you are, I guess this guy's in California. Um, he has to look at whether or not it's in breach of state digital forensic laws. Um, I don't know. It's it's bad. Um 
it's bad you you you, you walk away from a job you give it up i mean that's just the way i look at it but if he's outside of the firm and he's a disgruntled employee and he's using information he gained while he was on the job, a la access to people's private emails or private uh, insider trading data, etc. Yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. And the the downside of these sorts of cases is that we are very lucky right now in that network engineers you know, DevOps people, sysadmins, that sort of thing, not having to be licensed by any federal or state-based, you know, organization at this point in time. But the more times I hear stories about, you know, in the press particularly, hackers, which they always mischaracterize, but anytime I I see some sort of negative like that or I see a story about somebody breaching um, trust in this case, I just think, you know, we're, we're moving further and further closer to a time when network admins are all going to have to be regulated individuals. We all have to get licensed and we all have to pay fees every year and all of that good stuff. And it's just, uh, it's just not going to end well. So this guy, I'm not a fan. Sorry. Yeah. When I, when I was a, an IT professional, I used to tell people that, you know, like the boss one time asked me, I want to secure this data so that nobody else can see it. And I said, I can't do that. There is no way to secure this data so that I can't see it. You have to understand that by the nature of my position, I have access to everything here. And you're either okay with that or you're not. I just need to know right now if you're going to fire me. Uh, this was like 1998 I was having this conversation. Because it's just the reality that these these low-level guys have access to everything by the nature of their job. There's no way to not give it to them. Now, you can take steps to make sure they don't have it after they left. Uh, but what's interesting here, this uh, this fellow's name is Jonathan Lee, L-Y, I don't know, uh, Lee or L-I. Uh, he's, he pled guilty to securities fraud because he did, what he did was insider trading. By definition, he made stock trades based on information that was not available to the general public. That's insider trading. It doesn't appear as though there are any um, charges for the hacking, the, the illicit activity within the network. Because if you have access... It's not really illegal. It's it's dumb and maybe and you could certainly call it immoral. But if they didn't cut off his access and he used it, as far as I know, there aren't any laws about that. Now, that might be able to pr- uh, prosecute him for other things, you know, uh, a breach of contract, you know, uh, based on his termination agreement or whatever. I don't know, but uh, it's an interesting little loophole here that he had a- he had the same access after he left that he had before he left. That's a process problem. Um, and d- definitely something that needs to be cleaned up. But I don't know that it's actually against the law to use access that you have. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, it might be a case where if it went to trial, then what he did would be the court of public record, and they might not want the uh, publicity right. of the fact that, you know, their gateway routers was admin, admin for access or something like that. <laughs> so. That's true. I mean, there's the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which she, I am not an attorney, so I don't even want to try and suggest that I even know what he might be breaching. But um, there are there are statutes, there are laws that would probably, he is probably in violation of. But again, obviously, the Justice Department chose not to pursue that avenue. So I guess they know more than I do. Or the C- he has an email where the CEO was talking with his mitru- mistress over the corporate email account, and the CEO <laughs> doesn't want that to become public knowledge. Right. 
So it's like, no, we're just going to let him go with that. <laughs> but if I, you know, I, I haven't done it, but if I were to log into my previous employer's uh, ex- external facing servers and found that they hadn't changed the admin passwords from when I worked there or that my account was still enabled, is that against the law? I don't, I'm asking, I don't know. If, if I'm using access that I was given legally, and I, I specifically didn't sign anything when I left that said, I won't do this. I, am I in some sort of gray area in the law where I could do that legally, if not morally? If we have a listener out there who is an attorney who can answer that question, please tell us the answer. <laughs> you know, I am um, like two years after I left a company, they contacted me because they couldn't remember or they didn't have like credentials that I had had while I was there. And, you know, I I told them, well, when I left, all that stuff was in this location, but I would not even try to access it unless I had something on company letterhead stating that I had the right to attempt to access it because I wasn't going to take the chance, you know, we smart. So, absolutely. All right. Well, speaking of people who aren't very smart, Yahoo Mail, surprise, surprise, isn't secure. If you're still using Yahoo Mail for anything that isn't just a throwaway account, stop it. Man, I'm tied to Yahoo, Mark. I've been there for 14 years. There's a difference between having the account and using it. Just set that thing to forward and forget about it. Well, but if it was set to forward, I would still be using it and it wouldn't matter. Yeah, so then maybe. I you, you would you you would see what comes to you, but not from you. Right. So you're shutting down half the conversation. Yes, but you know, so it was a while back it was reported that Yahoo was hacked really bad in 2014 and they tried to cover it up for a couple of years. Well, now apparently, you know, in a few years ago they went to this the crappiest implementation of Java scripting I've ever seen on any website when they switched their mail and there's a security flaw that if um if the hack if a hacker and you know it could be any type of script kitty or you know botnet heart rented out for that process sends an email and all you have to do is click on the email and then you've given them the ability to hack your credentials so quit clicking on stuff you don't know and double check the stuff you do know and change your yahoo password um if you know what you're doing if you still use it Man, just, Yahoo used to be so great. I mean, it's I, I have made uh, changes more than once to my mail uh, carrier, and it's really not all that painful. You just set an autoresponder that says, I don't use this anymore. Here's what I'm using now. Uh, and, and within a couple of weeks, you don't get mail at that other address anymore. If you're still using Yahoo, stop it. Go to GoDaddy for eight bucks, get your own domain complete with mail forwarding, Forward that domain mail to Gmail. Boom, done. Stop using Yahoo. Stop it. I wonder how long it's going to take before people just stop using email altogether, though. I mean, well, the, something better the, has to come along first, and it hasn't yet. Yeah, no, you're right. I just think that the social implication of email is, and probably from a productivity standpoint as well, it's really not healthy. I spend way too much time checking email and letting email control my life, and I shouldn't. And it's it's a discipline that you have to get really good at in managing this sort of stuff. And yet, it seems like any time I email people that I know, I get a response back in five minutes. And I'm thinking, 
are they just sitting there looking at their computer all day, waiting for an email to come in, like, ding, oh, something to do, you know? Well, it's, like, it's, it's probably has yeah. something to do with the types of people that you interact with. They're, well, they're geeks, true. they're engineers, they're coders. Yeah, yeah, they are. That's true. I mean, for, for my work people, that's true. I can send an email, email to my wife, and sometime within the next 10 to 12 weeks, she'll see it. So it just <laughs> depends on who it is. Uh, I have right. often texted my wife and said, check your email. All right. Um, stepping into the weird, weird world of stuff you never thought you'd happen, Google's having to watch its money. I mean, in a weird kind of multi-billionaire kind of way. Wait, what? Yes. Uh, Google is growing up. So um, Ruth Porat, who is the new chief financial officer, um, she's born in England, so she's English, um, but she grew up in Palo Alto. She's led Morgan Stanley people. And so anyway, she really knows finance. Well, she has become the chief financial officer of Google or Alphabet now. And so she is saying you can't throw money away on your um I just had it right here. Other, um, other bets, you know, that's kind of like Google's moonshot program. Right. And so you can't just throw money away there. All these things that may make money in 10 to 15 years, you have to show up making money in five or no funding for you. So, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's, it's, you're not kicking your millennial out of the house yet, but you're saying, you know, you've at least got to get a part-time job if you're going to continue to live in my basement. So it's something that shareholders love because the it's stock, Google stock has gone up 35%. But it's one of the, you know, we've had this conversation often. If you don't R&D just for the sake of R&D, if everything is tied to next quarter's or even next year's financial outlook, then you're missing big things. You know, we have the... We have the internet the way it is now because Xerox, when Xerox was the, the big daddy of networking, threw tons of money into their Palo Alto Research Center. And look at everything that came out of that because they literally just were throwing money at it. And boom, you know, we live in the 21st century because of them. And so Google was one of the few companies that just had the cash to burn and was doing it. We say, hey, we'll give this a try. Hey, we'll give that a try. What happens if we do this? What happens if I burn? earn a thousand dollars a second for a year i don't know let's try it and um anyway so now google is growing up and alas google i knew thee well <laughs> google meet austerity <laughs> <laughs> yeah meet I mean, some and, and basically this uh i've linked to you you had i think the soft pa article i went to the bloomberg uh article that they quoted by the way i hate it when you have an article that quotes an article that quotes an article that's not an article just stop it. And, and I see that all the time. Places like BuzzFeed and Verge, they're not even quoting the original source. They're quoting somebody who quoted the original source. And sometimes it takes me five or six clicks to get down to the original source. Anyway, enough about what what the internet and, and I don't know if I can even blame it on the internet, what journalism has become. You know, journalism used to be, hey, this is what happened. That's it. This is what happened. Now it's, this is what you should think about what may or may not have happened. And it just bothers me. Anyway, that maybe that's my rant for maybe I've just changed my mind uh, for my end of year rant. But anyway, uh, moving on along to what I was saying, uh, the article goes on to say that uh, uh, Larry Page still gets to do whatever he wants to do, but when Larry Page loses interest in it, it stops having the freedom to lose money. As long as he's into it, it can lose as much money as he wants. But once he loses interest, that's when um, the uh, 
Porat woman steps in and says, no, no, now you got to make money. You, you lost the boss's eye. It's time to make some money. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things. It, it's, it's a good thing. It's a double-edged sword, Mark. It has its good points and its bad points. You know, we can stick a pin in this, circle back around, and attack it from the other side um, to see if we can get some type of overall consensus. But... <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and you put in the notes, Seth, your question was, did you know there's a Linux open source antivirus CD? Of course I knew that. I used, I've been using this for years, but apparently it's not common knowledge. So tell us all about it, Seth. Okay. Well, I've always used um, Kapersky's um, antivirus live CD because it has been, it's done everything I've ever asked it to. I did, I did not know of this one, but there is a live, it's antivirus live CD. It uses the Clam AV engine. And so it's just a, it's a, for if you're not familiar with the concept of a live CD, or you could use it on a uh, flash drive because, you know, apparently you're not supposed to use CDs or DVDs anymore. Um, so says Apple and other co- technology companies. Um, you, it's an operating system. You boot your device off of it. And then in the case of an antivirus CD, um, usually you can, it'll, it can connect to the internet, download the definitions, and then it will run a scan from outside of the operating system. Uh, it's able then to detect some things and get rid of some things because a virus can have its hooks so into the operating system that from within the operating system, you can never get rid of it. So this is a way to do a deep clean on a device that you didn't want to, the, the technical term is nuke and pave that you wanted to try to fix or repair or you needed to access it because of some app so that's a live cd in a thumbnail two cent version and there is and if you're if you're all for the open source and you think you know closed source companies are the devil um richard stallman might like this one because it uses clam av so here's my problem with clam av and and i will i will preface this by saying i haven't looked at it in about five years maybe this is no longer true but when I was actively involved in that world, Clam AV was, in my opinion, uh, something that did more harm than good because it was only a virus detector. That's it. It could do nothing about it. It couldn't remove it. It couldn't quarantine it. All it could do was detect viruses. And so people would install Clam AV thinking, I'm safe. You are not safe. You, are, you have a watchdog now, but the watchdog is chained and muzzled so that all it can do is bark. Um, and so unless you heed the barking of the watchdog, you are, you are, you've done nothing. And, um, like many, uh, systems, it's only as good as its definitions. So all, all antivirus, almost all antiviruses are completely useless against zero day stuff. So, um, the only way you can do that is, is by heuristic analysis, uh, looking at the behavior of things. And then there typically the false positive rate is so high that it's not worth doing. I always turned off all the, the heuristic stuff, uh, what I was doing. But anyway, so unless this has changed, all it can do is alert you to some stuff. And since it is a live CD and an outside the OS, I feel a little more comfortable about that because if you're using it, you must have some ability to to do what you want to do, you know, to, to, de- to delete a fire file or whatever. And since you haven't loaded the OS, it may be simply as easy as deleting the file. So maybe this uh, external live CD has some teeth to it but in my previous experience it didn't now i ran clam av as a plug-in to my mail server and using filters anything clam av uh fired on got uh diverted to uh, a, a spam folder so that was it was an integral part of my uh system when i was running my own mail server before we moved to google domains 
Uh, so it has its place, but the desktop, in my opinion, is not one of them. Miles, your thoughts? Um, I've I've used Clam AV before. Um, I used it on a Windows terminal server with about fifty users uh, that we were hosting. And uh, you're right; it it reports a lot of stuff. It doesn't clean them. Uh, you have to go and do that yourself. Unfortunately, it reports a lot of false positives too. Um, at least it did in my experience. Now, this is going back, I'm going to say, three or four years, something like that. Um, ever since then, the easiest answer was, well, I'm not going to host that for the customer anymore. They can host it themselves, and we'll just do apps and, and keep away from being responsible for complete operating systems, and that's served me well ever since. And it's not to say that the problem goes away. It's just that I you know, managed to get out of its blast range um, but so I don't know what what people are doing on a daily basis in in local you know their little local small businesses they're managing or whatever. Seth, uh, you you still uh, are in touch with the common man. Um, what do you what do you recommend for <laughs> antivirus protection for grandma? Man, I really i I don't recommend anything anymore because AVG turned into crapware um with their hey do you want us to do this hey are you sure you don't want us to do this hey we asked you yesterday and we're going to ask you tomorrow but do you want us to do this so you know i've i've played around with um um avast and i i've tried avg i st- the microsoft built-in thing is the worst one and it is apparently is also the worst one at removing something if it gets infected uh there was a new story i didn't put in the notes where that was the case but i i don't make a recommendation i just i'll list i'll tell somebody some and let them choose but i don't feel comfortable recommending any any specific antivirus Thing. I use Security Essentials on on seven and older, and uh, Defender on eight and newer. Um, both the free Microsoft products, and they're a fine first line, second line of defense. The first line of defense is your behavior, right? Um, and if you carefully monitor your own behavior, you can keep the you know it's. This is a bad analogy, but I'm going to use it. It's like getting AIDS. Um, AIDS is not curable, but it's almost 100 percent preventable. Not not entirely 100%. You can contract AIDS through no fault of your own, but the odds are pretty slim if you con- if you control your behavior, right? And viruses on computers are the same way. You can cut it cut your odds down to, you know, 1 or 2% of that you'll get infected if you manage your behavior. Um, and so that's that's what I tell people to A don't be stupid and B put on one of the free ones just in case you're a little bit stupid. Yeah, I I do recommend malware bytes, at least the free version, and to manually scan once a week. Um, that'll tell you if you have been infected. Okay. But they've added some uh, new things to it, and they're making it almost a full-featured antivirus product. Yeah, my, with version malware three. bytes is good. B y t e s. If you're not familiar with it, it's a good. Uh, you know, again, uh, it's a tech tool. I, I don't really usually recommend it for end users. Because it's another case of of a false sense of security is better no, than no security. They won't update it. They won't run it. They'll install it and think, "Oh, I'm good." But Malwarebytes is a is a manual launch thing, and um, you know, and then you have to update it. Or again, again, the last time I used it, the update process was not automatic. So I found that it was more harmful than than good. Yeah, well, I, and again, ex- that's the free version. Okay. My experience with Malwarebytes much the same. It's very brutal. 
if it discovers anything that it thinks might be a virus, it just kills it. And that might be, you know, Windows DLLs and libraries of actually valid programs. Um, I've got a computer which is constantly, I can't uninstall it for some reason. I don't know why. And it's sitting there constantly telling me that I've got this virus, which isn't a virus. It's just a DLL of one of the applications installed on it. And I've gone through the process of trying to kill it off. And the next thing you know, I've got an unbootable computer. So we're restoring from backup and, and you know, we're back in the cycle of <laughs> restore and just put up with this annoying malware bytes thing. So I can't really say I'm a fan. I love it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, you know, I found uh, if you're attack working remotely at all, which all of us do, and you're using something like VNC or uh, uh, TeamViewer, everything with any heuristic analysis says, that's suspicious behavior. Yes, it is. Absolutely. I am remotely controlling a device. That's suspicious behavior. But let me tell you, no, this is okay. And Malwarebytes, in my, my previous experience, was not happy with me telling it, no, this is okay. I know about this one. I want it. Every time it would say, danger, 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 danger. And it's like when my dog barks, you know, at every blade of grass. At some point, she's not doing any good at all because I ignore her every time. And so when the axe murderer with the hatchet in his hand and, and the hockey mask comes into the yard, I'm going to completely ignore it because she's just barking another blade of grass. I mean, yeah, that's true. They are better now. You can whitelist stuff. Okay. Again, I, I fully admit that my information is old. I now work in an environment where I'm lucky if I get to right-click on a good day. So, you know, uh, I don't have the ability to do anything. My my good behavior is forced on me. And then, you know, in my at home, uh, I use – I start to say I use primarily Linux. I'm really – on my own laptop is the only place I use Linux. And tangent aside here, I'm kind of done with it. I'm just about ready to to format my laptop, get rid of Linux – and go full on Windows. I'm just sick of paying the the open source tax, the stuff almost working tax. It's very frustrating to me. Uh, as a guy who has been uh, an advocate of this stuff for so long, to just you know have a Wi-Fi card that works some days, and you know and and not be able to do stuff just because, and it, you're really paying a heavy open source tax. Uh, you you do get certain freedoms, like for example, when I rip DVDs. Uh, using um, Handbrake. It's a lot easier in Linux than it is on Windows. And there there are other things like that that are a lot easier. Uh, but I'm just almost ready to just wipe it out and go full on Windows because I'm tired of being, you know, I, I I don't mind being Microsoft's beta tester if it gets better. I'm, I'm, I'm a Linux beta tester and it hasn't gotten better for years. I'm still dealing with the same crap. Broadcom Wireless, for crying out loud. How long has that been around? How many decades have we been having to tell people, oh, yeah, don't use Broadcom? What? <laughs> I shared a cab in CES last year with a guy from Broadcom. It was so hard for me to hold back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have. See, Miles, if you would have went off on him, it would have been fixed now. So it's all your fault that Broadcom doesn't work. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, just, you know, and if you want... Anything more than basic graphics, don't use an Intel. That's fine. Let me just don't use the, the single most popular graphics chip on the planet. Yeah, that's fine, because that's okay. No, you're so. right. I mean, hardware drivers are the killer of Linux. I mean, whether it's a, an NVIDIA card and then you've got to find the right version of the right driver that's not going to brick the computer or it's 
It's just finding some manufacturer which everybody else seems to know about and then all of a sudden you can't use that network driver or that. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. It's and painful. We've covered this at length. This is not Linux's fault. This is not the open source community's fault. It's the vendors being so super tight-fisted about their code that they won't even you know, let the, the developers write a driver for it. I get that. Um, but understanding it doesn't make it better. You know. No, it doesn't make it less painful. I mean, right. you at the end of the day, you're the ultimate. You know, the the it all rolls down the hill and ends up on your desk. Um, and I get that people don't want to do that. I'm I'm much the same, but I've kind of gone the opposite way. I've taken Windows and I've virtualized every Windows machine uh, I've got, so I use RDP to access it uh, because I'm just sick of having to restore the thing all the time when it when it gets infected by something or it gets some malware installed on there because I downloaded something from SourceForge and it installed something I didn't want it to. And at some point I feel like I'm going from one world in which, yeah, it's painful but I can control to another world where it's not so painful but I have no control. And I'm just one of those control freaks, so I tend to stay in the Linux world, warts and all, but then I, I limit the hardware I use and I, I use right. the same thing over and over and over again uh, because I've been through that painful battle once and I don't want to continually fight it again. You know, I, I am my friends and family's tech support and they around this time of year, this uh, December and May, I get the same question all the time. I'm going to buy a new laptop for X. What should I get? And I say, go to Best Buy and pick the pretty one because they're, they're all the same. If you're just a Facebook, you know, guy, whatever, if all you want to do is just basic online stuff, go to Best Buy and pick the pretty one. There is no difference. But if you want to use Linux, oh, no. Uh, well, then you have to go get this one, but you have to sub out that part, and you can't use this one. You have to go do that one. And it's just um, it's really frustrating for me, the the guy who wants, you know, I'm both a tightwad, right, and, and the open source community is supposed to be good at that, using old hardware. But what if I don't want to use old hardware? What if I want new hardware and a stable open source OS? Well, that apparently is asking too much. It, it's a crapshoot. It really is. I bought one of the first Skylake uh, Dell laptops that came out a year ago and uh, happily went to try and install Ubuntu on it. And I could get certain versions, certain derivatives, and others just wouldn't work. They'd just lock up or the video wouldn't work or half of the peripherals that I bought thinking, wow, this is great. I've got, you know, USB types, type C and, and all that good stuff. And then nothing's working. Um, it's now working fine because they've done umpteen revisions of the Linux kernel and Ubuntu on it. And thankfully, I was patient enough to wait it out. But man, you don't want to be on the front line of that stuff. You don't want to buy that snazzy, fast looking thing with all the specs, you know, within the first six months of its release, or you're going to be in pain city. But, you know, that's like the same thing as like Apple. Everybody knows not to download the um, new iOS when it first came out. And, you know, don't download the service pack for at least a month with Windows. So it well, doesn't that's, matter. That's not a fair uh, uh, comparison, Seth. Yes. Um, it's not a good idea to put new software on old hardware. But I'm talking about going to the Apple store and buying the brand new thing and it not working. And, you know, that's what we, you can't buy the brand new thing and run an open source operating system. You just can't. It just doesn't work unless you're all you want is the, the command line. Yeah, um, Apple stuff will work. Uh, you know, when you buy it, it'll work just great. 
But if you've got an investment in software, past software like I use, um, you know, audio processing tools, or you might be running Premiere or or Final Cut Pro or something like that, and you've spent thousands of dollars buying this expensive software, which in its day is remarkable what it does, but you then find yourself in the next version of Mac OS X or whatever it might be, and then everything just breaks, and somebody's there sitting going, yeah, sorry, it's, it, it, yeah, it won't work. You're going to have to buy the next version, and yeah, there's, you know, that's going to cost you another $1,000. Sorry, that, that's not good enough. Because I didn't want to have to buy the next thing, um, but what do you do, right? And, and that's the downside. I get, I'm now I'm ranting in advance, but <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it happens on everything. All right. Well, I will remind you uh, once again of something that I've brought to uh, this show before, but uh, I'm going to jump on Seth's um, link and point you to a song called every os sucks by three dead trolls in a baggie Um, (laughs) if you just google every os sucks you'll see it it's uh it was several years old but it's as true today as it ever has been Uh, yeah go ahead i was gonna say everything comes with a trade-off you know, there. Unfortunately, we you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can eat yesterday's cake or get today's cake that might kill you. Um, you know, you're gonna overpay for the brand newest thing. Or if, so, I mean, I understand that you know the open source free software. The trade off is you don't get the best of today's technology and some of yesterday's technology. You can't use either. But if you go new, you're paying out the nose for it. So. You know, which do you want? Which pain do you want? So, you know. Okay. Uh, Again, all of that is true, except that my complaints are about a four-year-old laptop. This is not new. It's just nobody's cared to fix it. And so I've been dealing, that's the capriciousness of open source. Unless some geek takes an interest in it, it's never going to be fixed. And this is an HP model that millions of them were sold, but apparently... I'm the only one using Linux on it. So nobody cares. It wasn't a high end, right? So the geeks look at the high end stuff and, ooh, I want that. I'm going to make it work. So you're better off buying the high end stuff six months later or buying, you know, uh, the super, super cheap, the Chromebook stuff. But if you buy a mid grade device uh, within six months of its release, you're just kind of out of luck. And that's the position I'm in, and that's why I'm just so frustrated. It's it's not getting better, and I've, I keep installing new OSs, new versions of the same OS, new different distributions, hoping it'll get better, and it's just not. Um, you know, I, I updated Mint, and something that had worked now doesn't anymore, and something that didn't work now does. So it's like whack-a-mole. I remember that happened to me when I had my uh, uh, little classmate PC and I had Ubuntu. You know, I was running the the uh, netbook remix on it. I updated it and all of a sudden it, the update killed my wireless because <laughs> they dropped support for that model. And uh, so, you know, and well, if this goes back to what we say, you know, the geeks aren't going to pay for stuff. So they're, the open source developers aren't going to develop that because they're not getting the money for it. So if people would pay for what they used, then there would be more money for development and we wouldn't have these problems so it's everybody's tight wideness exacerbates the existing situation 
And Linux has such a small market share that we don't really rank in terms of the manufacturers. They don't, I mean, that maybe on the servers we do, but on the desktop computers, they really couldn't care about us. If it works for Windows 10, that's good enough for them and they'll ship and move on to the next thing. Um, we kind of have to, you know, get the scraps and hopefully we can work it out ourselves. But Mark's right. If, if we don't, if they don't release the source of their drivers, NVIDIA, um, how on earth can the developers uh, deal with this stuff? How can we keep on top of it? How can we can be offering a, you know, a competitive alternative? It's hard. Here's a conspiracy theory for you. Uh, Microsoft and Intel, Microsoft pays them to specifically not develop it for Linux because they don't want to lose their last um, place of dominance. How's that for a good conspiracy theory for you? Yeah, I don't think it works, but sure. I, it was uh, Adobe uh, Premiere. So uh, it was back in the day when Adobe Premiere was king. There was a big push to get a Linux version of it. And Adobe actually came out and made a statement. And the statement was, we've done the market research, and, and they, you know, good on them for having done that. And what we've discovered is that the market for a Linux version of Adobe Premiere would net us less profit than it would cost us to make it by hiring in-house developers. And I believe that they were right about that and good on them for coming out and saying it. And and it was, you know, A, there's not enough of you, and B, the ones that are out there don't pay for stuff. So there's just no reason for us to go hire a development team to port this code over because it would be a lost leader for us. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Miles, you were going to say? No, I, I just, I, I agree entirely. I mean, I look at Adobe as being more well, what's left of that company now in, in product, and it's really Photoshop. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all the creative suite order, they call it now. And it's, well, never, yeah, but- it's never directed itself towards Linux at all. But now it's uh, it's cloud-based, and it's that uh, screwing has a service model, so they can take the same <laughs> amount of money they were making before and triple it by charging you per month. So, you know, they don't have to do any more work. Again, the exact same thing we want to do. I want to maximize the return on my investment for the work I do. We can't be mad at the companies for doing that. Microsoft could make $100 or $400 one time by selling you a version of Office, or they can make $120 a year in perpetuity for selling you a version of Office. Well, if I was a person, I want the one that makes me the most money. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder, we've had, what, personal computers have been around since, let's say, 1980. I mean, maybe maybe the IBM PC might have been the first sort of generally used machine that people started to, you know, take on. So, maybe early 80s. I mean, certainly they've been around earlier than that. The hate mail can stop right now. I know that. But as far Only as Only Mark gets hate mail. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Um, the average, you know, home computer sort of became a thing somewhere in the early 80s. Um, you know, back then, the licensing for software was a was kind of a magical thing that nobody really knew. And I remember the old Bill Gates writing letters to computer clubs in the 70s, you know, lambasting against them, having giving away software. Um, so I think software as an industry sort of grew from nothing into something. Maybe now it's matured enough where 
it's probably things like this whole subscription model and you don't own the software, you only own a license to use it and you're not allowed to see what goes on inside and all that. Maybe it's time for us to get over that. We've already established that software is a thing. There's an industry, people who make good money and careers writing it. Maybe it's time now to start moving forward and, and think about something else. Because I don't think the legals on it really have solved anything other than made a small number of people a lot of money. Well, you know, tell Hollywood that. They're still persecuting their loyal uh, customers. And, and it just that's the way it's going to be. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know. Anyway. The lawyers are getting paid whether they're working or just on retainer. Right. So they're not on retainer, they're on salary. So if you're paying the lawyer, go sue someone. You know, <laughs> anybody, sue somebody. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, you know, it's, not, it's like, okay, you know, because there's this cost benefit analysis. If you sit in that chair and don't do anything, how much does it cost me? It costs you $250,000 a year for me because I'm a top dog attorney. It's like, okay, if I have you do 10 lawsuits, how much does that cost me? It costs you $250,000 a year because I'm a good attorney. All right, I want 10 lawsuits. I don't care what they are. He's like, okay. And then so he goes hire some legal aid for $50,000 a year, and he makes $200,000 a year doing nothing. So, you know, it's the American system at work. Yay, the- capitalism. Go USA. <laughs> The downward spiral, people. (laughs) (laughs) That might be a good rant for next week. There you go. Uh, So this thing that we keep talking about, just just a little teaser, for the first show of 2017, I think is how it's going to work out, we're doing a a show that's going to be called 10-Minute Tirades. Each of us gets 10 minutes to rant about one topic of our choice from 2016. So it's going to be a year-in-review rant. Um, and so we, we've, we get 10 minutes and then there's a 10 minute comment slash rebuttal. So it'll be roughly an hour show if we can stick to the actual 60 minutes. Um, so anyway, something to look forward to and why we keep mentioning rant topics because we, we've been thinking about and picking them, uh, what we're going to do. So there you go. Um, clearly, and- clearly there's a lot of material. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Seth, your this week in history can actually clear up a myth about the previously mentioned Palo Alto Research Center. Okay, so this week in history, December the 9th, 1968, Douglas Engelbart demos the mouse. Uh, He and his team of researchers present a 90-minute public technology demonstration, including such innovations as hypertext video conferencing, but most famously, the computer mouse. This is the first public demonstration of the mouse witnessed by about 1,000 computer professionals in attendance. That happened this week in history. In 1968, before we walked on the moon, I think. Wasn't that in 69? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Phew, and got that. about five years before uh, Palo Alto Research uh, Center got kicked off. So lots of people have, have said the line, myself being one of them, that uh, Xerox Park invented the mouse. They did not. Uh, Douglas Engelbart, I believe, did work for Park at, at some point in his career. But the mouse was already a thing. So there you go. Now you know. Well, maybe they refined what was there and made it viable. Because, you know, just because you demonstrate something doesn't mean that it's ready to go. Because they've demonstrated you can free something with sound waves. But yet, my refrigerator still uses Freon. So. No, it uses L134. No, I have an old one. I think it uses Freon. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow, that must be really old. <laughs> or a refrigerating gaseous substance. How about yeah. that, Mr. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Pedantic, yeah. Pedantic man. Um, <laughs> interesting side note. The way you make things cold is by heating up the cooling element. This is true. A compressor heats up the gas, and then that's what makes it cold. Google it. It's kind of cool. Um, so, Seth, now, what do you have to lower my productivity in this week, uh, last couple of weeks of the year, when everybody's productivity is, frankly, pretty low? Okay. So you look like a better hiring option. This one might do it. Um, this is a link. It's called Space Plan. You go and you click on it. And you are basically in this little satellite orbiting this thing, and you have to generate power to get systems going to do something. So I am I am currently trying to come up with enough power to build a landing module so I can go see what's on the planet below me. And um, there's this button you click on. You you start off with this uh, little kind of a crummy solar panel, and it generates so much power. You can click on this button to produce more, and then you can buy things to increase your power gains and all this kind of stuff. And so anyway, it's basically a pointless time-wasting website that you don't know what happens because you have to follow the word outputter to know yes. what to do next. So. Like I say, and uh, it it can be pointless. It can because, you know, some things you have to have certain stuff before you can do other stuff. And uh, it's just a it's pointless life much. So it's perfect for me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. So you have a word outputter and a thing maker and, and an ideal lister. <laughs> it makes funny noises. <laughs> I haven't muted. I don't do that. So basically, you start out by clicking the button on the right, on the left, several times. That's it. Yeah. Well, you see your little hopper R type above it. That's your energy, and you'll notice it goes up slowly when you're in the sun. And then, as you click on this thing, you can do you can you can use spend your energy on things on the thing maker, or you can spend them on the idea lister and certain things you need certain things before the idealist is there. The idealister makes you the things you make more effective. And then, um, so, Oh, Hey, I just got my 3 million Watts of power. So I'm building the pod module. <laughs> Woohoo! Some yes, imagination is required. <laughs> 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 okay so you generate power by clicking the button and then you spend the power to do things right you can spend the power t- for other things that produce power so you don't have to click the button to make power or clicking the button makes more power and then you can spend your power to make stuff so hey you want pointless time wasting websites this is one of the more pointless time wasting websites i can find you know it's not all it's not all raining midgets and backyard roller coasters it's oddly addictive i mean i've the whole time we've been here i've been clicking that button like crazy and, yeah, see, and watching things assemble um, right so, I am up to 5,176 watts per second generated. Okay. So, whoa. That tells you how long <laughs> I've been doing it. I like the audio. It sounds to. cool. 
All right, there you go. The uh, the show closing spectacular. So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us. Go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest captcha, fill out the form, and that uh, sends a neatly formatted email that gets priority in my end basket. That is the best way to do it. However, you can also send an email to geekrant at elementopi.com lest you uh, fear that I am um, filtering the messages to your stalwart co-hosts or you can call 559-IMOP leave us a voicemail on our Google voice box we haven't had one of those in a while and we will play it on the air we love to hear what you think um, we would love to respond to it. I, you know, we had a couple of, uh, we still have some things, some millennials responding as people listen to that show uh, we'll, we'll do a little more about those um, the last two weeks of the year we're taking a break the show however will not we are pre-recording and we will be releasing uh, non-stop but we won't be here. So I say that to say that your feedback, if you start leaving it now, is going to be delayed. But we'll get to you. Mainly. Maybe. Because I've still got some feedback about the whole space uh, show. And that was, what, January? So um, we'll get there eventually, maybe. But do do comment, please. Oh, we haven't <laughs> said what we're doing next week, have we? Uh, no, next week we have uh, the Millennial Defense Show. Uh, one, of, one of our listeners uh, who is a millennial, but who also hates millennials, so he's sort of uh, bipolar in that way, um, wants to come on and we're doing a listener spotlight of a genuine millennial. So that ought to be interesting. Participation trophies for everyone. <laughs> You get a trophy, and you get a trophy, and I get to go watch the Cowboys because their kickoff was about 15 minutes ago. Uh, so, see you, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Miles, Seth, as always, thanks for being the great host that you are. But that's it for this episode of The Geek Rants.